0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me this morning to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to just kind of dive in here pretty quickly this morning. As we move into chapter 6 of Nehemiah, I'm going to remind some of you what's going on or maybe bring some up to date in case you've missed previous weeks. The book of Nehemiah focuses upon the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem um, and more importantly, the Jewish people. For the Jewish nation had suffered exile because of their rebellion against God, and as a part of that exile, God's temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. However, God, being a gracious God, is in the process of restoring His people, which includes the temple being rebuilt, which had been rebuilt for about 100 years, and then eventually the city and, of course, the people." God had placed a vision into Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem, knowing that it's important for the wall around Jerusalem to be built, not only for the security of the people, but also for the testimony of God's work among his people. The vision began to be fulfilled when Nehemiah asked and received permission from King Artaxerxes to go and rebuild the wall. And as we make it to chapter six, we're going to see at least the construction part of this vision begins to come to completion. Now, as we look at chapter 6, we're going to see, in fact, some familiar themes. Some might even want to look and say, well, why not just skip chapter 6 and move on if it carries these similar themes? But maybe we need to say this. If we see something, again, repeating in Scripture, maybe God knows we need another reminder, right? Or maybe He knows we didn't get it the first time, so we need another word, whatever the case In case you wonder what I'm talking about, we're gonna see in chapter six where Nehemiah faces more opposition in carrying out his vision. Now as we prepare to dig in, let's make sure that we're ready to hear what God is gonna say to us, both collectively but also individually. What is clear is that God had given Nehemiah a vision that he wanted Nehemiah to complete. It would have been easy along the way for Nehemiah to quit, but having a vision was key, and I'm gonna even speak to that more in, in a moment, but what, what I want each of you to consider this morning is what is the vision that God has you pursuing right now? All right, and to be clear, I, w- I wanna know this. What is that God-given vision you're pursuing, not your own vision? Because often in life, here's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to pursue our own visions and not God's vision, but the question that I'm asking you this morning is What is the vision that God has given you that he's wanting you to complete? Is it a ministry opportunity? Is it a career he wants you to have? Is it a project he's wanting you to complete? Is it a need he's wanting you to meet? Is it a spiritual growth plan he's wanting you to pursue? What is it, all right? What is that for you this morning? For some, in fact you may need to start right there and consider the vision that God has for you because you might say, well, I don't know. Well, if that's the case, that's what you start. You say, God, what does you want for me? But here's what I hope this morning, that you are pursuing a God-given vision, all right? Because if not, I pray you do soon. Now, with that said, there's something that Nehemiah's life has already taught us and we're gonna see it clearly again this morning, all right? When you pursue a God-given vision, there will be battles to fight. All right. Catch that. All right. If you are pursuing a God given vision, there will be battles to fight. I want to reiterate this because too often we think that if we pursue God's vision, things will be easy. And when they're really not easy, we get discouraged and we want to quit. In fact, Jesus himself. Y'all remember he reminded us something in John 16. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, in this world, you will have Trouble, right? He told us following him would not be an easy life. Following Jesus and pursuing God's will can and often bring its own set of troubles. You see, for Nehemiah, pursuing God's vision indeed brought trouble. We've already seen, and we're gonna see again today, that as Nehemiah sought to carry out God's vision, he faced opposition. Let's read in Nehemiah 6, beginning in verse one. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me, saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? See, now, Sam Balat and Tobiah, we, we've heard those names before, so we're used to them, but now they've joined forces with Geshem, the Arab, and others in chapter six. It's interesting that Nehemiah refers to them as the rest of our enemies, all right? And, and it's appropriate that he does so in order that he doesn't lose perspective. Nehemiah needed to be reminded that there are those who are fighting against him, especially as we're going to see what follows this morning. Because what has happened is the work has progressed, the the wall has been rebuilt, and because of that, Nehemiah's enemies were not happy. And so here's what they did. They offered to Nehemiah a distraction. They offered him a distraction. They they said, come and let's meet. Now, if you study this closely, what they were offering to Nehemiah can seem like a good thing. They are basically looking at Nehemiah and saying, well, let's meet halfway. You see, Heciferium on the plain of Ono was halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria, what we might call a neutral place. And they were giving the impression that they wanted to work with Nehemiah. We could see this as them saying to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, let's meet on neutral site so we can talk about how we can work together. Now, there might be some people who would want to look at that and say, well, Nehemiah should go and meet with them. I mean, if they're wanting to talk, and they're possibly wanting to work with Nehemiah, then he should go meet and see what they have to say. And I'll go ahead and say this. There may be times when that advice is true and good. But what we see is that Nehemiah had been given discernment by God and God and he knew the motives of Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. He stated very clearly. He said, they intended to do me harm. See, God had given him this discernment. And so he knew better than to stop. He knew that Sanballat and Tobiah were not friends, but enemies. In the end, what their invitation amounted to was a distraction that sought to call Nehemiah to compromise. In fact, think in your life, how many times that you had a vision in your life that got sidetracked because of a distraction, right? Right? The distraction could have been an activity you chose to get involved in that took time away from your vision. It could be getting involved with another project that was seemingly good but took away from your vision. It could be a pleasure you decided to indulge in that kept you from moving forward in your, your vision. But distractions can happen to anyone and it can come from people or activities that pull us from what God desires for our life. Nehemiah shows us something very important, that you fight distractions by maintaining taining your focus. All right, look at verse 3 again. Nehemiah said, "I sent messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you?" I mean, folks, this is a powerful statement by Nehemiah and one that we should learn from. <clears throat> There's great security in knowing what God has called you to do. Right? The reason I wanted to start today by having you consider what God's vision has, what vision God has called you to complete is because when you have that vision, you should be secure in it and not let anything distract you. I mean, there may be many distractions that come, some disguised as good opportunities, but when you know God's vision, you should maintain focus. You should be able to say as Nehemiah did, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I mean, God's vision for me to be a stay home mom with my kids is a great work and I can't come down. God's vision for me to mentor these students is a great work and I can't come down. God's vision for me to save the lives of the unborn is a great work and I can't come down. God's vision for me to be an influence in the business world is a great work and I cannot come down. God's vision for me to teach a life group is a great work and I cannot come down. God's vision for me to have a godly marriage is a great work and I cannot come down. God's vision for me to be influenced to my classmates is a good work and I cannot come down. You see, God has given you a vision. And folks, I'm here to tell you, you should not come down. All right. Maintaining this focus will not be easy because distractions will continue to call. I mean, Nehemiah's enemies didn't give up just because Nehemiah said, I can't come down. I mean, look at what we read in verse four. It says, and they sent to me four times in this way. Four more times they said the same thing, and I answered them in the same manner. See, it wasn't like Nehemiah's enemies heard him say, I cannot come down. Okay, well, we're just going to move on. They continued to try and to distract him and send him the same message four times to which Nehemiah answered in the same manner. In other words, I'm not going to lose focus. I'm going to stay the course in doing what God wants. I mean, this is such an important lesson for us to learn. When God has given a vision, it's important to stay the course. Now, however, we shouldn't assume that just because we stay focused when distractions come, that the battle is over. I mean, it certainly wasn't the case with Nehemiah. In fact, things got worse. Look at what we read next in verse five. He says, "In the same way, Sam for the fifth time, all right, for the fifth time, sent his servants to me with an open letter in his hand. It in it was written." It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. You see, when Nehemiah's enemies failed at distracting him, the next thing his enemies tried to do is to discredit him. On the fifth time, when Sambalat sent word to Nehemiah, it came in the form, did you notice? This fifth time, it came in the form of an, did y'all pay attention when I was reading? Open letter. In other words, what does that mean? This was a letter meant for all to see and hear. The content of that letter, the accusation that Nehemiah was, was what he was doing in the building of the wall was actually for his self-advancement. Sambalat declared that the people were saying that Nehemiah intended to lead a rebellion and to become king. The accusation goes as far as saying that Nehemiah had conspired with the prophets to declare him king. And what Sam Ballot was really attempting to do is to start a rumor about Nehemiah. Obviously Sam Ballot was doing this in an attempt to make Nehemiah afraid. We know that fact for certain because the last thing he said was the king would hear these reports. I mean, should the king hear these reports and believe them, it would have been devastating for Nehemiah since it was the king that gave him permission to build in the first place. It would have been seen from the king's standpoint as a stab in the back. It would not be hard to see how this could have easily been fearful for Nehemiah to consider. If the king believes this, Nehemiah probably would have thought, I am in real trouble. Now, you have to wonder, do rumors really work? (laughs) <laughs> they absolutely do, right, and can. Even in our day and time, do they not? I mean, in fact, think about how quickly rumors spread in our day. Look on social media, and you will always see things being spread about people, especially those in the limelight. But if you take social media out of the picture, all right, just think about how many of your discussions involve talking about other people and often very negatively. Now you don't like me, right? The conversations often starts like, did you hear what, that's followed by a name, right, or an organization, and what happened? But in either case, these conversations are often meant to speak negatively about someone. In fact, it's amazing how much people love to spread rumors, is it not? And we should really call what it is, people love to spread gossip, whether it is the powerful feeling they get because they have the scoop, or whether it is because they like making others look bad, bad because they're so insecure in themselves, or whether they have agenda against a person, people are quick to spread gossip. and be careful before you start pointing fingers at others, because I believe we can all be guilty of this at times. right? We can all be guilty of this more even often than we like to think. In fact, maybe here's what we ought to do this morning. Maybe we ought to stop for a moment and just think back and do an inventory of our conversations this week and think how many of our conversations this week started with, well, did you hear? Mm. And maybe we'd all be at the altar at the end of the message today, right? Unfortunately, often gossip, the, the, the gossip people spread is false and it is so dangerous because just as people are quick to spread gossip, People are also quick to jump to negative conclusions about others. All right, this is another place where we should take stock of our life and ask if we really do quickly jump to negative conclusions and believe the bad stuff we hear about others. And the answer is yes, all right, it is, and it shouldn't. Now, I wanted to laugh a little bit this week, but I felt like I shouldn't. When I, read, when I ran across this definition of gossip that I want to share with you this morning, all right, you take this one, this is one worth hanging somewhere gossip is news you have to hurry and tell someone else before you find out it isn't true that's a good word and is it not i thought i'd share that with you but unfortunately unfortunately i think nina has already done this for us this morning but unfortunately we have to say ouch Because it's true of me, right? It's true of my life. Now, I would warn you both about spreading rumors and about believing rumors. In fact, I think it's best to give people the benefit of the doubt until you are certain otherwise. All right. Here was Nehemiah, who clearly had a desire to follow God, who had even personally sacrificed to do what was right and care for others, who now faced the possibility of rumors discrediting his life and vision. Well, how did he respond? Well, let's read further. He said, then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you, have, uh, as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You see, what Nehemiah shows us is that you fight being discredited with truth and trust in God. You see, Nehemiah didn't back down. He plainly stated that what was being said was not true and confronted Sam Ballot with his harmful actions. Now, here's what we all know, that can have limited results, right? It can, we know that. There will still be plenty who choose to believe the lie and not acknowledge the harmful motives of others. That is where the second part of what Nehemiah did comes in. He was able to speak truth because ultimately this, he trusted in God. All right, when he prayed, I mean, something we've seen him do time and time again throughout the book, right? He prayed again and he simply asked God to strengthen his hands. He most likely had to pray that because it's so easy to give up in the middle of false accusations and the hurtful schemes of people. Especially if I've already noted that when you feel that that doing God's will should actually be easy, not hard, it's easy to wanna quit. But Nehemiah didn't give up and instead he turned to God to find strength. Nehemiah's approach here is so important because, listen, if one is not careful, you can spend a lot of time trying to defend yourself and neglect the work that God has called you to do, right? Because Nehemiah had character and had lived that out, as, he, as we looked at even last week, he could simply call out the lie and then keep working. He knew in the end that he could trust God to take care of him and that the truth would be known, right? Because what are we just saying? The battle's already been won, right? He knew in the end that his motives would be revealed as he stayed true to God. At this point, you might think, surely it cannot get any worse. I mean, Nehemiah had to face these false allegations trying to discredit him, so surely nothing can be worse than that, right? However, we will see that the battle rages on. Look at the next few verses. Verse 10, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabo, who was confined to his house, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temples. Let us close the door of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now, a quick reading here might lead you to believe that what we read is really good. You might think, finally, finally, somebody wants to help ne- Nehemiah. We might read this and see Shemiah as someone on Nehemiah's side. In fact, we might see him as someone like Nehemiah. Since he is confined to his house, you get the impression that like Nehemiah, people are out to get him, and so he's looking to protect himself, and he wants now to protect Nehemiah also. His suggestion is that they go into the temple and close the door. Now, because he made this offer, Shemaiah most likely was of priestly descent and had access to the temple. Therefore, we think here's a godly person who's come to Nehemiah's aid. Finally, someone who is fighting for Nehemiah. Finally, some spiritual support for Nehemiah and his vision. But let's read on. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sanballat, oh, my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. You see, as we read, we discovered Nehemiah faced another battle, which is the battle against deception, all right? I probably should say that he faced the worst kind of battle. He really faced spiritual deception, all right? But we'll keep it simple, and let's just say deception, As we read this text completely, we will learn that Shemiah, instead of being a godly counsel, was instead a sold-out prophet. He had been hired by Tobiah and Sanballat to do their bidding. Instead of being a prophet who spoke for God, he was a prophet speaking whatever was most profitable to him. In this case, the words of Tobiah and Sanballat, who wanted him to speak and paid them to speak in order to discredit Nehemiah. As we make this recognition, some might want to ask, well, what was so bad about his advice? That's a good question, is it not? And so let's see how Nehemiah responded to find out. First, Nehemiah looked at Shemaiah, and he said this in verse 11, should such as a man as I run away? Now, some might wanna read this as Nehemiah being arrogant, thinking, I'm too strong to run, right? So, such a man as I run away? Right? You could read it that way, all right? But you could, but that, that, that was wrong. But, but, but I, that's not the way we should read it all, because what we should do is read this as a man who understood his position. Here was Nehemiah leading the people. And can we use a word that the Bible uses? Let's use a word the Bible uses. He was shepherding the people. He was shepherding the people this morning at, at Jerusalem, all right? And, and, and we should know this. What, what does a shepherd do when the flock is in danger? How? Does a shepherd run away? Mm-mm. A shepherd seeks to fight the danger. To help you see what I I mean, consider what Jesus said about himself in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Nehemiah knew that if he ran and hid, he would be saying to the people, I don't care for you. I'm gonna take care of myself. I'm just a hired hand and really care nothing about you. Nehemiah knew that the vision that God had called him to in rebuilding the people, and the last thing he was going to do was run and hide, seeking self-preservation, all right, instead of the good of the people. He truly saw himself as a shepherd of the people and cared for them and was going to fight for them against the enemy, all right? Now, next, Nehemiah goes on to say this, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. So, see, just in case you thought Nehemiah had an arrogant perspective of himself, this statement makes it clear otherwise. Nehemiah knew that he should not go into the temple because he was both not worthy and not allowed to go in the temple since he was not a priest, you see, Numbers 18 tells us that it was only the priest that could go into the temple. Nehemiah would have been allowed to go in the courtyard of a temple, but to be, go where Shemiah wanted him to go, he actually would have been deserving of death according to the law of God. He would have been disobedient to God's word and in opposition to God rather than on God's side. This would have been something that actually would have discredited him as opposed to the false narrative that people had been seeking to spread about him. In fact, Nehemiah reminds us that you fight deception with commitment to God's word and ways. You see, because Nehemiah knew God's word, he was able to identify the false prophets and their lies. He didn't get led in a dangerous direction because he knew what God's word said. Let's remember one of the dangers we face in our world today is Satan disguising himself as an angel of light, right? Sometimes people who claim to be religious and promote godly things are sometimes just the opposite. Shake your head this way, yes. For a person to know the difference, you must be grounded, all right? You can be grounded in God's word and grounded in his ways, This prophet speaking to Nehemiah proved to be a false prophet because he spoke what was against God's word. And we need to be aware that this still happens in our day and time. In fact, let me say this. I continue to be amazed at godly people who get led astray by supposed preachers and prophets of the day who espouse things that are clearly not biblical, but because they play on the fears of people, people accept what they say as truth. All right? All right. Let me remind you that if you are a believer, you do not live by fear, but instead you live by faith. Be careful about those who proclaim to be godly, but make a living or gaining a following by promoting fear in your life. For God is not given as a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Let your life be filled with God's word, which means read his word and know it, and then live your life according to the ways that God's word shows you that you should walk. And when you do, you can do like Nehemiah did. Let God take care of those who seek to deceive you. In fact, look at verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. You see, Nehemiah demonstrated again that he ultimately put his trust in the Lord in the face of opposition and let God deal with those who tried to stop him from completing the vision that God had given him. And because he did that, he never lost sight of the vision, continued to press on, and this is what we read in verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elu in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of who? Our God. See, because Nehemiah pressed on to fulfill God's vision and continue the work, the wall was finished in what was an astonishingly quick time. So quick, in fact, the enemy surrounding the na- and surrounding nations became afraid, and most importantly perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. In other words, God received the glory for the work that had been accomplished under Nehemiah's le- leadership. Nehemiah wasn't the one praised, but God was, and that's how it should be. But again, this praise came because Nehemiah kept the vision, even in the face of opposition. Now, let's think for a moment about our text. There are definitely many things we can learn from what we've looked at this morning, is there not? Did you pick up a few along the way? I mean, we can learn practical things like not getting caught up in gossip and being a part of the problem, right? That can be a lesson. We can hear a warning about false prophets so that we are aware that not everyone who claims to speak for God does. We can hear the warning about distractions and realize that many things can get us off focus. But what I wanna circle back to is this. What vision has God given you that he wants you to complete for his glory? Some this morning, you may need to ask that question, as I said earlier, and ask God, Lord, reveal it to me, what's your vision? Maybe you've never asked God before what his vision is for your life. If so, uh, you need to start asking this morning. You don't need to hesitate. Start asking now, God, what's your vision for my life? But for all those this morning who understand that God has a vision for you, a vision, I I want to encourage you on this, all right? Fight the battle and stay the course. And I put an explanation at the end of that. Do you notice that? Fight the battle and save the course. Here's what I wish this morning. All right. If you're filling in your blank, fill in your last blank, and I want your attention. Here's what I wish this morning. I wish I didn't have to preach this sermon to me. You know, what can be frustrating sometimes as a preacher is preparing a message and realize that it might not be for anybody but you. So let me just say this, okay? If this message is only for me this morning, thank you for listening in and being patient as I preach to myself, okay? If that's who it's for, that's it. I'll take it. Thank you for listening in, all right? But I really wish it was easy to push on toward the vision that God has for my life. I I wish it was easy for you to press on toward the vision that God has for you. The The reality, as we've seen this morning, though, it is not, I mean, there are plenty of things that seek to distract or to discredit or to deceive to keep God's vision from being fulfilled in one's life. I have plenty of things in my life that I look at and say, I think that might be more appealing than what I'm doing right now, and I'm tempted to get down from the wall and stop the work that I'm doing. There are also plenty of times when people have sought to discredit me, sometimes blatantly, sometimes not so blatantly, maybe even innocently, where I just want to say it is not worth it. Why give all this energy? Why sacrifice so much? Only to have people speak ill of you and to speak lies about you. It would be easy to say, I'm not gonna do this anymore and stop the work God's called me to do. There are also plenty of times when I face deception of having been tempted to follow bad advice, causing me to stop what I'm doing and to do something else. I I get tired sometimes of asking the question, is this right? Or even who can I trust to give me godly direction when I'm confused? Or how I wish it were easy to fulfill God's vision for my life, all right? Again, I wish I didn't have to preach this message to myself, but I do. Because I preach this to myself, I know it's relevant, at least to one, and my guess is I'm not really alone this morning because there are others who need to keep who need to fight to keep God's vision for your life going until it's complete. Some of you were aware of the battle before you came in this morning, and some of you become aware of it through this message. But for all who are trying to complete God's vision for your life, you need to understand this is an ongoing reality. I didn't even read the last few verses of chapter six to show you that. Even after all the wall was built, Nehemiah still faced a challenge as people who should have been on Nehemiah's side were praising Tobiah and aiding him rather than supporting Nehemiah who was doing God's will, okay? The battle raged on. Folks, Satan today, it's constantly working to keep you from fulfilling God's vision, okay? But oftentimes, we're not even really battling. We're not even really battling against the true enemy, Tobiah, hear, hear me close Tobiah and Sanballat were not Nehemiah's real enemies what do I mean by that some of your I see some heads shaking you know where I'm going right others are saying what do you mean they weren't the real enemies they're the ones coming against him when in Ephesians Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 6 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places Hear me, it is not people who are enemies. It is Satan and the spiritual forces of evil. What did Paul say before and after this reminder here in Ephesians? Listen close to what he said. He said in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to do what? Stand firm. Okay. All right. Stand firm. These verses remind us that the battle is not even ours to fight. It is the Lord's to fight, and we need to find our strength in him. It is why Nehemiah was continually lifting prayers to God. He was confident in the vision that God had given him, and he was confident that the God who'd given him that vision would fight for him. We must do the same. For you this morning, if you're going to keep the vision that God has for your life, you need to fight in the strength of the Lord. If God has given you a vision to pursue, you can be assured that Satan will want to fight against you. He will want to keep you from fulfilling that vision. And if you're going to stand, you must fight in the strength of the Lord. And let me just be honest. Many need to come this morning to the altar and seek the Lord's strength as you seek to fight to keep God's vision for your life. You need to pray, Lord, help me discern the distractions that, you're, that are trying to get me off the vision. Lord, strengthen me as people are trying to discredit me. Lord, give me understanding so that I don't fall for the deception of others. You need to be on your knees before God this morning to fulfill that vision because you know you know God, God, God is there for you. He has a vision for your life and you need to be on your knees saying, God, help me to fulfill this vision. As I said earlier, you don't need to be ashamed to bow before God. You, in fact, need to be bold in kneeling before God and saying, strengthen me and help me fulfill your vision for my life. Now, with that said, I'm reminded of this. The greatest vision that God has for any life this morning is your salvation. Now, how do I know that? First Timothy two, three through five says this, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. You see, those words came in a call for prayers and intercessions to be made for all people. And I know there are lives this morning that God has been working on and you're on the verge of receiving Jesus as your savior. You have heard and believed that Jesus died for your sin. You have heard and believed that Jesus rose again to prove who he was and to prove that he could forgive you and to give you eternal life. You have heard and believed that Jesus is coming again someday, but you've heard, but you've been prevented from making that commitment. Why? Because there are things that keep distracting you So that just when you're ready to make that decision, you get busy with something else. Right? Because there are people who are working to discredit you. You You're ready to make that decision, but people are talking about you saying, no way can that person be saved. Think about all the things there's done. There's no way. That person is unlovable by God. And because of that, all right, you just, you quit. There are those also who are out there working to deceive you. They're telling you that Jesus isn't really the savior of the world. They're telling you that there are other ways to be right with God. They're telling you that if you want forgiveness, you have to work to achieve it and that salvation is not by grace through faith alone. See, God has a vision for your life to be saved, but God has sent many things your way to keep that vision from being fulfilled. And my prayer for you this morning is today, you let God be your strength and today be the day of your salvation. That today be the day that God's vision for your life is fulfilled. You see, ultimately, my prayer for all is this. Whatever God's vision he has given you for your life, that you will keep that vision in his strength. For what I know is this, is that when you keep God's vision for your life, you find real purpose, and God gets the glory as people look on amazement and say, this must be from the hand of God. Would you pray? Father, I'm thankful that you are a God who gives vision for our life. That God, you don't let us just wonder aimlessly because, Father, we know your word says we are prone to wonder. We are like sheep gone astray. Father, I know today that if we're going to accomplish anything of real purpose, Father, it's going to come as we find your vision for our life and fulfill it. So my prayers as we come to this time of invitation that, Father, people will be doing any number of things. One, I pray there'd be some at this altar this morning who are seeking your vision, saying, God, show me your will for my life, and that they would begin that earnest search, a search that I have no doubt that you want to help them find the answer and say, here's my will for you. For others this morning, I pray that they'll be at this altar because they have a vision. But honestly, Father, they're weary of the fight. Maybe they have fought distractions or somebody trying to discredit them or maybe deception. Because of all those things, God, they're even this morning, they're here and they're tempted to give up on the vision you have for their life. I pray today we'd find people at this altar who are fighting from your strength, knowing that you've already won. But they would be coming to you, God, saying, help me, Lord, strengthen my hand. As Nehemiah prayed, Lord, strengthen my hand. Then I pray, Father, this morning there'd be some who would come and find that ultimate vision, that vision of salvation, that there'd be some who come this morning and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. That they would say, I'm putting aside all the distractions, uh, I'm, I'm putting all the discrediting people's been trying to do in my life, I'm putting away all the deception, and today I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. So Father, you do business with us. Pour your spirit down in this moment, Father, and I pray that we'll come and ultimately keep the vision that you have for our life. So pour your blessings in Jesus' name, amen.